Hello, my guest today is a person who is a true thought leader, an author and a champion of social change. She describes herself as guided by spiritual purpose and her work is rooted very much in mindfulness and intentionality. She's won numerous awards and recognitions, including awards for women in business, diversity in business, and has been listed for the last three years in the top 100 most influential and powerful Black Britain. She has a PhD in neurophysiology and is currently the Senior Director for Health Equity in the Americas at Medtronic and has previously held senior roles within the Medtronic Foundation. She published a book which is called Turning the Tide, Neuroscience, Spirituality and My Path Towards Emotional Health, which outlines, interestingly, the links between our brains and our spirituality while inspiring readers to change the world using knowledge. So what per better person then to discuss the title of this podcast, Being True to Your Values? Uh, Dr. Silver, Sylvia Bartley, um, great to see you here. Sylvia, welcome. Thank you, Nigel. It's a pleasure to be here and really good to see you again, Nigel. We haven't connected for over 20 years. I <laughs> and I must let the audience know that um, you and Tarquin Coles were the two guys that introduced me to Medtronic. And uh, you opened my world when you introduced me to this phenomenal company. So I'm in ever indebted to you both. So it's a pleasure to do this uh, conversation, have this conversation with you, Nigel. Today. Oh, what a lovely thing to say. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sylvia. I, I wasn't going to mention that, but it's nice of you to, to mention it. And of course, um, maybe a few people watching or listening from Medtronic, and, and some of them might know that I used to work there myself. So um, I, I think when we originally discussed you, we knew um, what a great match you would be to that uh, uh, organisation, which I still hold in, in great affection um, and uh, uh, and still think of them, although they're a very, very different uh, company to the one that I was part of all those years ago. Um, but still, um, one founded, on, in fact, on uh, values, uh, an organisation very founded on values. So, um, and in fact, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to kick off, really, Sylvia, because um, I thought what might be, I, I, I said in the introduction there about you, your role now being in health equity with Medtronic, um, Briefly, if you can, please, could you give us a bit of a description what 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 health equity is with Medtronic, and also perhaps a little bit about the the um, Medtronic Foundation, and because uh, I think listeners will be interested in understanding the connections that some of the ethical and, and values led corporations have with respect to what they do for society. So perhaps if you if you give us an overview on that, that would be great. Thank you. As you know, Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> Medtronic is a company founded on its values, right, to uh, alleviate pain, restore health and extend life. And uh, one of our founders, Al Bakken, he wrote the mission and he was very centred on not only providing high quality patients, um, products for our, and therapies for our patients, but also ensuring patients and employees have the uh, bandwidth or the ability to give back to their communities. And he coined this phrase, use their extra life to give back. And so when we think about health equities and the foundation, it's really rooted in the mission of uh, Medtronic. And the health equity work is something that is fairly new. As you know, 
with COVID-19 shining a spotlight on racial disparities in healthcare and with the murder of George Floyd, the combination of both of these things really uh, highlighted the, the disparities and the racism that still exist in 2021. And so there is a, a, a movement, I would say, of corporations, philanthropies, communities, all rallying together to eliminate systemic racism and address the racial disparities that fall within that systemic racism. And so you have many companies such as Medtronic really trying to figure out what is it that they can do to advance health equity. And when you think about health equity, that is a big, uh, that is a big um, kind of responsibility. And it's a huge uh, amount of work. It's just like saying, I'm gonna eliminate racism. Nobody can do that overnight and we can't boil the ocean. So we've really got to figure out what is it that we can do to advance health equity in Medtronic. The best place to start is to look at what we have in terms of our products and therapies and solutions that we can work with our customers. And our customers are very focused on addressing health equity. They've come to Medtronic and they've asked how we can partner to move this forward. So we're really in the exploratory phase, looking at immediate solutions that we can do with our customers. We're very much uh, advanced with diabetes because we've had some uh, focus on that area for quite a while. But now my role is just to really help the operating units in Medtronic to figure out what our solutions are for our customers and how we can deliver that immediately. And in parallel, figure out what is that longer term strategy that we can do to advance health equity. What kind of collaborative partnerships can we create with internal stakeholders, our customers and other companies, irrespective of if they're competitors or not, because this is um, a responsibility of us all. And we want to look for areas where we can partner with everyone that are thought leaders in this space and driving the work forward. So the essence of the work is uh, really exploratory, doing the data analysis to understand the opportunities and then really doubling down on the strategies and tactics that we can deliver in the short and the longer term. So it's really about it's really about looking at those sections of society that have less access. Is that is that am I right in, in thinking that and, and looking about how you can you can give people access and, and make you know a more a more equal society in terms of access to healthcare? Is that what it's about? Yeah, it's broader than, than access to healthcare because when you look at racial disparities in healthcare, which is a part of health equity, um, disparities literally mean you have access, but you're not getting the treatment. So there's those in the system that have the access and they're still not getting the treatment. And then there's those that not, are not even in the system and they're not even seeing a physician and they may have a chronic illness. And so I describe the, the community part where people are not in the system they're out there in the communities as more like the upstream because we definitely want to reach everybody irrespective of if they've got insurance or not and make sure that they get in the system and they get the, the, the health care they deserve. And then once they're in the system, we want to make sure that they get the therapies that they deserve because they can get ignored or overlooked when they're in the system. And that's irrespective of education, location and where you are. And if you look at the, the data, um, 10%, 10 to 20% of health outcomes is determined by healthcare. The rest are determined in the United States by what we call the social determinants of health. And that's your social economic status, your education, 
um, home, your ability to own a home, whether you're employed or unemployed, your life expectancy can be determined literally by the zip code that you live in. And of course, affluent suburban neighborhoods have higher zip codes than those urban neighborhoods that are living below the poverty line. Mm, yes. Well, um, you know, all power to that. I mean, it's uh, it, it's uh, that's amazing work to be involved with, which, um, you know, I wouldn't say I know you now, but having known you in the past, I can see how that would uh, align to the things that you feel passionate about. Um, what about the Vetronic Foundation? If you could just give us a, a quick overview of that, because you were heavily involved in that. Could you give us some, some of the, 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 the types of work that that was doing when you when you were in that? Yeah, so I worked in the foundation for five years and I literally just transitioned from the foundation November the 1st to work on this health equity. And the foundation, again, is really core to the mission of Medtronic. So we focus on underserved populations and making sure they have access to care. And now the focus is on providing education and focusing on STEM. Why education and STEM? Because we're a technology company very much into robotics and, and engineering, want to engineer the extraordinary. And so therefore, um, addressing the so one of the social determinants of health, which is education, we definitely want to look at that to make sure that people get a good education, have get a good job, and then um, with having a good job, they can get healthcare and live a better quality of life. And that is our goal really to um, work on that journey from uh, high school through uh, college and, and post-college and ensuring that they have a good career path and enter into jobs in STEM. So that's a big focus now in the foundation. Previously, the focus was primarily global health, again, a healthcare company, focusing on community healthcare workers because they are the ones that go into the community. And as we spoke about just a minute ago, not everyone has access to healthcare. So community healthcare workers, they go into the community and they serve those patients. And they're very instrumental in delivering uh, quality healthcare to, to all members of our community. And so for a long time, we focused on and still do community healthcare workers, making sure that there's, they're trained, they're equipped, and they have what they need to do to go out there and serve communities. Um, and in addition to that, one of the first things I did when I joined the foundation five years ago was work on our product donations and our med-ed and training and to, to work with the businesses to figure out how we can proactively use those two components of what we do so well in Medtronic to advance um, access to care for patients. So for example, in Sub-Saharan Africa, in Senegal, Ghana and uh, Kenya, we worked with the local teams and physicians and the healthcare um, uh, system as well to make to use products to demonstrate the value of a therapy to <clears throat> increase access <clears throat> excuse me for certain patients and then uh, train the physicians as well so they can um, have a sustainable model as opposed to when you look at um, kind of these medical uh, these medical trips these mission trips they're very good and they do serve a purpose but one piece that is missing and, and many of the organizations do it now is they think about that sustainability and scalability piece and so training the physicians and making sure the physicians know how to use the product and and do the surgeries for the therapies is very key 
in making these uh, countries uh, sustainable. Does that make sense, Nigel? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's great as well. So as, as a sort of introduction to this podcast, I wanted people to kind of understand the, the, the work that you're involved in um, and, and relating that to the to the title of the podcast, really. Um, so the, the, the next thing really is a kind of at a personal level. I mean, did you, you know, did you feel that this direction that you took was was that a kind of a, a mission for you? Um, did you did you say that's that's where I'd like to get to in Medtronic, or did it evolve over a period of time? Yeah, it, it evolved over a period of time. When I uh, started twenty years ago, I started in cells, and uh, started with intrafecal baclofen therapy cells, and then the therapy that I stayed with for most of my Medtronic tenure called deep brain stimulation, and that therapy. As you know, Nigel, this is how you introduced me to Medtronic. It was hook, line and sinker. This was a therapy that really changed the lives of patients. Patients who were living with Parkinson's disease, dystonia or central tremor. They literally were kind of held prisoner in their own bodies. And the therapy alleviated the symptoms and allowed them to have a good quality of life. Now, there's a selection process and, and it all depends on many variables. But for the most part, the outcomes really did change the quality of lives of patients. So I was, and still am, in love with that therapy because of the power of that therapy. And uh, with that, over the years, I saw many patients worked in many uh, surgical suites all around the world, really disseminating those best procedural practices. And it really got me kind of connected. I, I understood the mission and I went full out to make sure that I could, you know, act on that mission and do the best I could for my patient and customers. <clears throat> and so that value piece to me was very important. And one of the values that became apparent over time was that I really wanted to add impact and I want to see my impact. Right. And, um, you know, you can give me a fancy title and lots of money, but if I'm not showing up and adding impact and if I'm not seeing my value, I will not be motivated. But this job kept me motivated and it took me again around the world. And when I lived in, when I moved to uh, America, where I'm living now, I moved to Minnesota because that's where our headquarters is located. And when I moved to Minnesota, I was very keen to get involved in a community. And uh, what I did not know is Minnesota, particularly the Twin Cities, had the lar largest disparities in the country. For four years in a row, it was a second worst state for black Americans to live. Really and that was well? based on mm. those social determinants of health. And there was lots of work to do. And I doubled down and I got involved in many nonprofits that were impactful and very strategic in addressing the disparities, starting off with education and then economic disparities and then health. And through that work, I was so embedded in that community work in the Twin Cities for over five, six seven years that I got to the point at 15 years in Medtronic where I felt I reached a crossroads. I loved DBS and I was doing that for over 10 years, but I loved the Minnesota community, particularly in Twin Cities, and I wanted to give more time to that community. And essentially that's how I transitioned to the foundation because I wanted to be more community focused. So was, was the, um, the, the, 
connections with those kind of voluntary areas, which I know that you're involved in, was that through Medtronic or was that your own? Did you do you, did you do that and it became complementary? Yeah, I did that by myself. I, I for me to get in, if I'm living in a new country, I want to get involved. I want to get involved in community. What better way to know community than to be part of it and really give back? So immediately, even before I left uh, Switzerland, where I was living before I moved to America, I, I connected with a senior leader in in Medtronic, James Dallas, and I said, I really want to get involved in the black community when I get to America. And he sent me information on the African-American Leadership Forum, and I'm still working with them today. That is 11 years later. And so my friend took me to my first meeting one Saturday morning, and I have not looked back. But this is what I did in my personal time without an agenda outside of helping a community. And over time, because I got such a reputation in the community, of course, it's good for business. And Medtronic has always been supportive. They, you know, there was never issue around me doing my community work. I always got my work done. I, I did that well, but I also, you know, did my community work as if it was my job, as if I was getting paid. And I really, and I rolled my sleeves up and got involved. I helped to start a, a charter school that served African-American children in, you know, uh, highly impoverished neighborhoods. I, um, I sit on many boards that focus around education in those impoverished areas, particularly for African-American students. I do a lot around black women's health. That's another one of my passions. And I do a lot about, of course, uh, economic disparities and, and health disparities in general. And so the work I do is meaningful, it's strategic. I don't sit there and nod my head. I literally roll my sleeves up and get involved. And at one point I had the privilege of 12 months working full-time in the community. That's how much Medtronic was very supportive of the work that I did. And I worked in a school, I had an office in the school. I sat there for eight months and uh, I helped them with their operations and enrollment and finance and all of that good stuff on how to, you know, really uh, increase the efficiency of that school so they can, you know, better serve their, their families. And so it's um, it's been a journey and I'm still at it, right? This doesn't stop because it's part of me. But that goes to following my values. And even when I was in England, Nigel, I'm not sure if you're aware, but when I was about, I'm not sure, 27-ish, you know, I was a single parent with two kids. It was very difficult. And I the, the first thing I wanted to do, of course, was keep my job and keep working. So therefore I needed childcare, but I couldn't afford it. And there was an organization called the Croydon Playcare Company. I'm not sure if you remember them, the ex-gingerbread company. Yes, and they do. they're yeah. a non-profit. Yeah. And they provided 40% subsidy of childcare fees. The government paid the 40%, you paid the rest. That really helped me to stay in employment because I had full-time childcare. But when I went to an annual meeting and I looked at the representation on the board, they were all white, primarily white women, and the the uh, their customers, their participants were primarily black families. And so from that point, and they, they did a call to action, we need people to join the board. And I joined their board and within six months, I became the chair of the board. And at that time, they were talking about the single parents being the ills of society, the conservatives. Um, oh, what is his name now? The guy with the dog, the labor guy with the, the white dog, he was blind. He launched the white paper uh, on how to, um, he launched the white paper to 
counteract that single parents are the ill of society, but how to make it more kind of affordable. Uh, David Blunkett. David Blunkett. Yeah, you got to you got to his name before my my brain was rattling through uh, the the uh, yeah, people of that period. Yeah. That's right. And he came to our centre and I, because I was a chair, I was a spokesperson. So I got involved even as a single parent at 27 and I got deeply involved. And then the National Health Service, I became the, their, lay, their, their lay chairman for the independent review panel of people making complaints. So I was very, um, it was just always been part of me, Nigel, that I would give back, but giving back to serve and and. Uh, support underserved communities and when I look around in the different countries I lived in England Switzerland and America it's a similar story a different magnitude but black people living in diaspora ethnic minorities they're typically the underserved they're the ones that have loads of struggles and so therefore my commitment is to all communities but prioritizing black communities and and the same in England and the same in the United States and I'm still doing the work in the United States, lots of work to do. And so when I think about my passion, and I'm always about my what is my path and my purpose, why am I why am I here in this lifetime? It always goes back to that kind of work, giving back and really helping to support the underserved. And bearing in mind, I consider myself an underdog, right? When I was growing up, because I born to parents from the Caribbean that wasn't born here, they came here, they met, they got married. We had very humble beginnings, working class families, we we didn't have much. My parents worked exceptionally hard and I saw the progression from us sleeping on a little camp bed to having a house that is fully furnished. And so, you know, education for me was my path towards these other opportunities that I would never get. And great, so, uh, great, great example. You you, you demonstrate, uh, Sylvia, and, and uh, inspiration as well, which is why it's great to have you on here. I, I hope a lot of people will be inspired. Um, changing onto a slightly different tack, but related. Tell me, tell us about your your book. I mean, I'm fascinated. This relationship between uh, neurophysiology and spirituality, um, and uh, it's it. it that's, it also shows that you have a certain amount of risk taker about you because obviously it's something that you, f- you feel feel passionate about um, uh, and of course it's almost sort of those those two things people are often quite scientists are often quite nervous about talking about faith or spirituality and so on aren't they so t- tell, tell us a little bit about that and how you you know I know we've only got a few minutes but just just a big subject but just tell us a little bit about that and how that relates to your values. Yeah, well, first of all, I am not a risk taker. I am so risk averse. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting that you say that I'm a risk taker. Maybe that's my uh, me being naive here. But simply put, Nigel, it's all about what is my path and what is my purpose. Why do I have a PhD in neurophysiology? What am I supposed to do with that? Why do I have this fantastic experience at Medtronic meeting all of these fabulous people that are deeply involved in the science of neuroscience, deep brain stimulation, depression, movement disorders. What am I supposed to do with that? Why do I have the lifestyle that I have where, you know, met with lots of challenges throughout my life, having the ability to overcome them, but not without pain and suffering. So why am I suffering? Why am I in pain? What am I supposed to do about that? 
So that constant question throughout my life brought me to write my book and to really examine how am I supposed to use my neurophysiology? What are that pain and suffering? That made me go internal and become more spiritually aligned, not religious. I'm born and bred a Catholic, devout Catholic family, but I'm not saying I am religious, but that spirituality about how, what am I supposed to do in this lifetime? How do I align with the universe? And how do I do good in this world? And I'm, you know, I'm not perfect and I don't, you know, I, I have many flaws, but how do I take my mistakes, my challenges, my pain and my suffering and turn that into something useful? And that brought me to looking at the intersectionality between neurophysiology, because I'm a neurophysiologist and I've got a PhD there, right? And what did I do my PhD in? Uh, brain plasticity, long-term potentiation and, and learning. So the brain plasticity is around how the brain changes due to your experience as an adult. And then I look spiritually, and this is what got me through my darkest moments and my darkest, my, my strongest spiritual moments came through my darkest moments of depression. And so there's a connection there. And then when I think about, yeah, I'm traveling around the world and I'm in these platforms that is just at the highest level of science and knowledge and research, why? And so I take that knowledge and therefore I have the intersectionality between depression, spirituality and neuroscience. And that's how the book came to life because I kept asking that question, why? Mm, very good. No, well, it's uh, and that and that uh, rhetorical why is is a great place maybe for us to 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 finish on, uh, Sylvia. It's been really inspiring. I could actually talk to you for a lot lot longer, but we have a certain amount of time that we try and keep these podcasts to. And I know you also got a very busy schedule um, uh, or schedule as your American friends would say uh, um, uh, to, to to work to so thank you so much it's been really inspiring I mean absolutely fantastic you know um, understanding a little more about um, Medtronic and what they're doing uh, um, you know you, you hear so often um, negative stuff about big corporations and and when I hear those sort of things, I often refer back to my days at Medtronic. And, and a lot of the big companies do do some really great things. And of course, the companies themselves are only um, a collection of individuals. And those individuals like yourself um, are people very often that want to make sure that they make a difference. And you're clearly doing that. And, and it's been fantastic to talk to you today after such a long time um, and we must speak again before another 20 years is, is up um, but it's been really really great to talk to you and, and thank you so much for your contribution it's, it's really really inspiring so uh, um, thank you Sil Dr Sylvia Bartley thank you. Thank you for listening to or watching this podcast our guest was Dr Sylvia Bartley of Medtronic in conversation with me Nigel Job. More information on Sylvia, her work at Medtronic and her book can be found on her LinkedIn profile. Other podcasts in this series can be found on our website www.remtechtalent.com forward slash the job podcast or via my LinkedIn site and on the job podcast on Instagram. The series is also available in audio version on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify and Buzzsprout. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast and please have a great day.